This is One Ogden. I'm John Miles. Ian Williams is the Housing Assistance Coordinator at YCC Ogden, where they specialize in helping victims of domestic violence get their lives back together. So he's got first-hand knowledge of the challenges people face recovering from domestic violence and homelessness in general, and he knows how to help them get back on their feet. How long have you been here? Been here for, uh, for 10 years. I've, I've been in four, four different positions. I was what we call an intake specialist in our shelter, and eventually I moved up to a, uh, a case management, a full-time case management position after I finished school. And from there, uh, moved down to the housing department. And then, uh, you know, as soon as as soon as there was an opening in the in the housing department for the the management position, I I jumped on it. But so, like, what made you apply here in the first place? Is it like? Uh... Well, uh, kind of a, it's kind of shocking the first time people hear this, but I found out that I was going to be a father on the last day of high school, essentially. Oh really? Um, she would be. Uh, actually, her birthday was just on January 5th. She just turned 20 years old. Um, her mom and I tried to stay together for about a year after she was born way back then. Uh-huh. And, you know, things got rocky. Things, didn't, things ended up not working, working out very well. And, and so we ended up splitting up. I mean, we were very young. We, we didn't know what we were doing. It was a complete accident, total shock. A couple years later, she ended up uh, living with another person, and, and he became abusive. Um, a Sunday, uh, right around noon, I got a phone call, um, but they said, you got to get down to the hospital. And before I got there, my, my daughter was dead. She, she passed away from a um, closed head trauma to the brain. She was, she was shaken violently. She passed away in 2006. She was two and a half. And you know, from from then on, I just I decided I I gotta I gotta do something for for these people, you know, because uh-huh. obviously it's not a isolated incident; it happens all the time. Uh-huh. So that's what brought me here. <laughs> wow, I can't believe that. But it also makes me think you've got to hear some of the most tragic stories, and it's got to feel like if you could share those with people, you could really change the perceptions about homelessness. But you can't. No, not really. I mean, you can you can share all you want, just stories. But obviously, you can't you can't share any uh, any like details about anybody's life. I mean, you can't. It's just ethically, you're not really allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, it's it's all about the the education and educating folks out there that like these are real things that are happening. I mean, the majority of these folks that are on the streets they're not there by choice. They're right. they're They've probably gone through something you couldn't imagine. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know they're they're dealing with just like massive barriers that you know I think people like you and I are really lucky to have been able to avoid. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But so then you're really focused on the housing assistance mm-hmm. side. So somebody comes in, asks for help. They say that they need housing of some kind, and they come to you. Yeah. Uh, well, really, the the majority of the housing assistance that we offer, um, it's it's primarily for folks who have come into our shelter, and are you know because it's a temporary emergency shelter. You know, we we try to have some sort of a plan in place as soon as they kind of come in to our doors. You know, we give them we give them enough time to settle down, settle into their their you know shelter beds and rooms, and 
um, try to just kind of make sense of everything that they had just gone through and everything that they've just left. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but then the, the, the work starts and, you know, again, the emergency shelter, we offer case management. Um, we have domestic violence and sexual assault advocacy, uh, hospital response teams. Um, we've had one for quite a long time for sexual assault survivors, but we're just now uh, on the verge of starting a new hospital response team. We call it HRT for uh, domestic violence survivors. So. Essentially, it's just what it sounds like. I mean, we have we have people who are designated staff who are on call. Uh, so, if somebody goes to an emergency room and and they need some sort of support or assistance or advocacy, uh, we have people that can go and meet them exact right where they are. We also have uh, domestic violence classes and parenting classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I actually partner together, and we teach the parenting class. Oh. here um, we we really enjoy it and we I have a six-year-old and a seven-year-old and we've quite honestly learned a lot from the from the course as well so yeah we have a uh, domestic violence and sexual assault therapy here we have uh, outreach and education for adults and uh, teenagers we have a huge just gigantic robust outreach for for teens that our staff uh, Brent Hidesley kind of oversees and, and runs it's just mm. it's it's massive and it's uh, they're doing a lot of great stuff a lot of the folks that come our way were referred by uh, police departments you know going back to the the education and like in prevention piece uh, we've got folks all over the schools all over this area uh, just going in and teaching classes and you know, letting younger generations know that we're we're here and we're available if they need need stuff. We also do uh, a ton of you know collaboration and and work throughout our community. You know, we're part of uh, the local homeless coordinating team in uh, in Ogden. You know, we work really closely with United Way mm-hmm. and uh, Department of Workforce Services. So there's yeah, there's all sorts of ways that we kind of get the word out that we're that we're here. Typically, when somebody comes in here, like you've got to have a spot to put them right away. I mean, obviously, the need is going to be more than you know what assistance we have available. Mm-hmm. But you know, if for instance, a family comes in and we don't have enough beds to place them, we've got we've got means to either uh, try to get them transported to another shelter. Uh, you know, other places we can reach out to to try to help them get get situated and get to a safe place somewhere. Mm. We've, there's also some funding out there that we can use to uh, to put folks into a into a hotel temporarily uh-huh. until until space does open up here. But so your your capacities like expanded greatly over the last year, though, right? Well, not yet. Our full capacity bed-wise is 62 beds oh. right now. However, you know, later on in the, the just a few months from now, we're going to be opening our, our brand new transitional housing. Uh, it's still kind of bones right oh, now. Oh, Yeah, they're saying the end of April, uh-huh. uh, early May, it's going to be ready to go. The other temporary housing you had, is it still there? Like, are people still living in there? No. Uh, before we kind of decided to change paths and go towards this uh, transitional housing model, as part of our agency, mm-hmm. we had a nine-unit uh, apartment complex out there. It's about 80-year-old yeah. uh, building, and so it was really just just falling apart. I mean, the plumbing was was awful. Electrical was terrible. It was just just a rundown thing, and it didn't even start as an apartment building. Before that, it was a I think like dentist office oh. <laughs> of some kind. So, <laughs> so it's I mean. We, we put that building kind of through the ringer and then eventually we we thought you know we're we're shoving more money at this building and just like band-aids uh-huh. essentially 
And we decided, well, let's let's get rid of it. And you know, we also had our uh, we had our warehouse out there where we brought in used donations, and then we also had a thrift store where we were able to sell a, a vast majority of the donations that came in mm -hmm. to the community at a you know highly discounted price. So um, we got rid of all of that. We we really just kind of did a 180, changed direction oh. on uh, on what we were kind of doing and. You know, I'd like to think that we were kind of reining in and kind of focusing and honing back in on our our uh, mission as a whole. Uh, um, you know, as valuable as that is, uh, all of those services were to the community. I think that you know, getting rid of that and building this this TH uh, complex, I think, is going to be far more valuable. Mm -hmm. So you guys don't even do the donations of goods anymore. We don't take in used donations. We still take in plenty of uh, of, of new donations. So we do drives. Uh, we uh, a lot of church groups involved in donation drives, that kind of stuff. So we bring in hygiene items, uh, cleaning products, clothing. Uh, yeah, just just anything you can think of. Yeah, I remember thinking that was tough. Like we used to try to donate stuff here, and you guys would kind of like look through it and say, "We want this stuff right here." <laughs> But yeah, it's hard. It's, you don't have that whole LDS church apparatus exactly. of sorting and it was a blessing and a curse. Uh, the amount of donations that we brought in because we simply just don't have the space to be able to keep things. So we have to be choosy, uh -huh. and we have to ensure that what we're bringing in and and uh, holding on to are things that can really be utilized by our by our clients mm. to mm. to help. So, you know, like you said earlier, we. Uh, we are essentially going to double our bed space. You know, even though the TH is going to be a completely separate uh, kind of entity, we don't want it to end up being a kind of an expansion of the shelter. We want we want the clients that move in there to have some ownership. Mm. Um, we we want to actually work as landlords for the clients so they can build uh, you know positive rental history for their future. Uh, so yeah. yeah, so we'll actually have a lease in place. Um, with all the you know typical kind of guidelines and requirements that a you know any other landlord or property manager would would have, um, but you know the fact that we're able to you know hopefully more quickly be able to move folks out of out of the shelter and in, in, into that more stable long-term transitional housing, you know that means more beds opening in the shelter so we can get more people out of their immediate like dangerous unsafe situations that they're in. But so then, did you become kind of an expert on the social services that are available for that community? Yeah, you, I mean, I, I don't, I don't really tend to consider myself an expert because the whole environment is changing constantly. You know, mm -hmm. and you have to really stay on your toes. You have to, you watch out for, you know, trainings for new kind of techniques and ideas, and you have to make sure you know. Uh, who like best to contact regarding referrals for for clients we you know vi being able to obtain vital documents is a always an extremely hard thing to do uh, especially if you're born in a different state uh, Wyoming's especially hard to get uh, birth certificates from for whatever reason California's very hard to get birth certificates from sometimes I feel like it's easier just to get in the car and drive for a few days to go pick it up rather uh -huh. than having to you know figure out how to get them ordered so I mean yeah that's a especially if you've never done it in your life I mean some of these folks have never had to go through that 
Yeah. And if it's your first time trying to figure out how to get a birth certificate without an ID or an ID without a birth certificate, and um, it's it's a terribly hard process. Yeah. We do our best to be essentially a, a roadmap. We never want to do the work for them. I mean, it's kind of a one of the classic kind of rules in case management is you don't work harder than your client. Right. And I, you know, I agree with that. I mean, we're we're not here to save and change lives. We're here to help the client save and change their own lives, right? Our number one goal is to make uh, homelessness rare, brief, and non-reoccurring. Mm. And that's that's kind of the that's what the LHC uh, in Weber County works for. And um, what's that LHC? Oh, I'm sorry. That's the Locus, local homeless council. Oh, okay. Um, and that's so countywide. So it's run through the commissioner's office, and essentially all the uh, all the folks who provide any sort of housing assistance, or who are involved in, um, you know, helping the the homeless population, they they come together. It's uh, I go to each meeting, and I'm involved as much as I can be, along with my our executive director Margaret Rose, other executive directors from uh, Lantern House, Youth Futures, uh, you know, all the other ones. I, they, we all kind of come together and we determine what needs to be done, right? Yeah. But so that's kind of how you get, because, okay, so we did the point in time count mm -hmm. together, and like, you seemed to understand a lot of homeless populations, not just, just the ones you serve here, uh, but so that, that's kind of, that coalition kind of helps you stay in touch with all of that. Yeah, that helps, for sure. Um, I, you know, it, come, it comes down to just a lot of just general experience as well. I mean, as far as me personally and, and being able to understand this, this population, I started um, working with the homeless when I started my internship with Weber State uh, with the bachelor's program. And I, you know, with all due respect to Lantern House where I did my internship, they, they, really, they really threw me in. Uh, I, I basically started with a, with a caseload of 12, uh, 12 homeless men and that was my introduction to, uh, to homeless, homelessness and, and housing. Uh. So, yeah, it uh, it was I think probably the best experience I could have had at that time, and it really prepared me um, for you know hopefully a long lasting career in this field. Yeah, yeah, and I guess I wonder about that. Like you know, a lot of people are afraid of the homeless population, but I mean I know that a lot of them are harmless. Uh, yeah, but. I imagine you think that some of that fear is warranted, like there are. The yeah, I think so. I mean, you obviously, if you're if you're talking about uh, you know being out in the middle of the you know downtown Ogden in the streets in the middle of the night, of course you have to be a little bit careful. I mean, no matter who you are or how much of a kind of expert you are, but at the same time, I mean, I I really think that a very large percentage of the Folks who are in homeless situations or unsheltered out on the streets, they are absolutely harmless. They, they're not dangerous. They're in survival, survival mode constantly. They're, there's obviously you know, mental and physical health challenges. There's substance abuse challenges that those folks deal with. But really, I think, I think for the most part, it's just, it's stigma. It, you know, it's uh, social issues, it's, it's barriers that that they have to deal with that, that have kind of placed them in the situation. I mean, they, nobody, I mean, there might be a few people who are homeless by choice, uh -huh. but again, the vast majority, are, they're, they're not doing this by choice. They're not just reaping the benefits of, 
you know, not having bills to pay, anything like that. They're, they're, they're normal people. They come, they all, they all have their own backgrounds. They all have their own histories, and they, they're people that are just trying to get by. Well, yeah, and that it makes me think that you see a lot of people maybe at the very beginning of their homelessness. And I mean, do you feel like you ever see somebody say, I don't want to get a job. I just want to <laughs> live on welfare. Once, maybe. Yeah. I really, honestly, I when I when I worked at Lantern House, I remember one person, and he was a he was a train jumper. I mean, he 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 told me his whole story. He he would hop trains and go from, you know, every edge of the country, and mm. and that's just what he did in his life. And you know, there's there's some guys out there that are perfectly happy living that way. You know, they they don't they'd rather live their own way you know in order to get in touch with a lot of the services that are out there you have to you have to do things also you know you have to kind of carry out your side of the bargain you have to stay clean you have to go to classes you have to you know do um oh breathalyzers before you're able to get into the shelter and you have to you have to stay at the shelter for a certain number of nights before you can even become a, a steady client and you know, there's some people out there like, no, I don't want to be tied down. I don't want to be held down like that. And, yeah. you know, that's that's fine. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's the thing I think about. Something. Like, um, I had a, a social worker friend long ago say, you know, don't give your money to people on the yeah. streets. You know, give it to organizations and encourage them to engage in the organizations, which I get. Yeah. But also, I get somebody saying, I don't want to have a 9 o'clock curfew, and I'd rather just sleep outside than do that or, yeah. or however it goes. Yeah, I. That's it's another one of those kind of general rules as far as uh, working with homelessness goes. Is that you, you know, you don't give somebody a buck who's asking uh, on a street corner, a panhandling kind of thing. Um, I can go either way on that. You know, I, if a if a if a buck or two is going to help them to get through the day, it doesn't hurt me. Right. It probably helps them tenfold more than it hurts me. Right. So that you know, I can kind of deal with however i mean i i really think it's you know if we're talking about providing them you know somebody you know in an organization like setting up in the park and handing out blankets and uh um you know pillows and sleeping bags and backpacks and just you know if they have somewhere where they can go to get the necessities that they need every day then that's then they're likely not gonna uh, go and try to get into a, a fully legit program yeah. Um, which is the which is the the ultimate goal right. for for us is to try to get people off the streets, get them housed, get those uh, you know national pit count numbers down to a minimum. Mm-hmm. You know. Do you do the pit every year? I've done it. Um, oh gosh, I think this year might be six years wow. now. <laughs> yeah. When I first started doing it, we. Uh, we actually used our community room here at YCC. Yeah, I remember we used to meet here. Did you? So did were you around then? Uh, right on. Like right pre-COVID, I think. Um, 2020. Yeah, and I, I really appreciated that because, you know, it gave it gave us a place to come and warm up before we went out uh-huh. and a place to come back and warm up after we were right. done. These last several years, I, although, I mean, it's worked out very well, uh-huh. That's that's one thing that I wish that that we could go back to, and it sounds like we're going to this year. Oh, nice! Um, we're with Lantern House taking over the pit count. They're uh, they're opening up their cafeteria over on their property, 
And so that's where we'll, where we'll meet up. We'll get all organized, get our hygiene kits and backpacks ready to go, and then we'll head out. And then we'll come back, and they're going to provide us a warm meal. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, which will be which will be really nice. Rather than kind of meeting up in a parking lot and like standing around cold and frigid before wa walking for two hours. Yeah, um, so, but yeah. so that that really, I mean, point in time count doesn't have much use for YCC, does it? There's really not much you could do with that. Well, there's there's kind of two sides to the point in time count. We do um, we do a count of sheltered individuals oh. and, and families also. But then what we do out on the streets is, is just counting the, the unsheltered population, so the folks who are literally out on the streets. Um, so there are different sides. So we have a big, um, kind, of a, kind of a daunting uh, uh, spreadsheet that our shelter folks will, our shelter employees will fill out with all the demographic information and the numbers. Uh, um, so they'll do that according to the numbers on Wednesday evening, the night before the, pick, the first day of the pick count. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's kind of how YCC will, will be involved. And then me being kind of a you know, long-term kind of housing person around here, I always, I always try, to, try to lead a team like I did last year with you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I know that they, they kind of like to um I don't know, give people an orientation or something, but people can still sign up for that like a week before and just kind of get the stuff and still do the count, can't they? I, th I think so. We, another thing after, after COVID has, we started to, we started to move away from the like volunteer oh, side. Really? So we've, we've really tried, I mean, and obviously because the last year you were there and, um, it did seem it, like for a couple of years, there was not much of that though. Right. Um, we we just thought you know if we can get enough of the actual like housing service providers in the area to be involved, then we wouldn't need to to put anybody else at risk yeah. essentially. So. But that said, this last time it didn't seem like there was so much. We're going to send people out to tromp through the fields. Yeah. Like you know. The, yeah. The territories were kind of a lot bigger. For sure. I yeah. Mine mine grew double. You know, I, I typically, I, I did like 20th up to 20, you'll see 20th over to 26th and then uh, wall to Washington. Mm -hmm. um, but this past, these past couple of years, I've had a uh, wall all the way up to Harrison, yeah. which is just huge. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we've, we've kind of expanded the areas a little bit. I think we've also been able to get a little more of Ogden PD and like Weaver County Sheriff's Office oh. involvement as well. Yeah. So they've luckily the you know officers have been able to kind of take some more of the like sketchier areas like along Ogden River, and um, you know there's there's just there's various other places that are like really out in the middle of nowhere uh -huh. uh, that you know you don't really want to bring a big group of like. Uh, volunteers that have never really done this kind of thing before. Yeah, so, that makes um, sense. and then that we've also been able to utilize uh, drones a lot in the past few years too. That's oh. just kind of one, a new kind of technique that um, that the police departments have been able to utilize, so they can really just fly over big expansive areas and see if they can if they can see or track like like heat wise, I guess. See if they can oh. track or find. Um, any camps that are that are really out there, you know. That makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. The other impression I got is that you really kind of see the nuance of it because you also have 
this shelter that's down here, downtown, you know, like 23rd, basically mm-hmm. Washington. And so you also get kind of the negative things that come along with another homeless pop. You know, people will break in, yeah. people will like take things or break things in there and stuff. So you sort of do see that negative side of it too. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, it happens, but I don't know. I'm, I'm a softy. I, I feel like a lot of it, you know, we, we, we practice what's called trauma-informed care. And it, and it really opens us up to be more understanding as far as this population. I mean, our old building here, I, I had one guy that used to come around here and he's actually, he's, he's thrown rocks through, our, through the windows. We've had to replace them. Um, he's, you know, been trespassed from our property numerous times. But, I mean, if you're out on the streets and it's 12 degrees outside, you're going to do whatever you can to find somewhere that's mm. that's warm, somewhere that's safe, and somewhere where you can hunker down for the night. Yeah. And you know, it's it's hard to you know if I if I came in in the morning and you know somebody watching the cameras upstairs saw that somebody was kind of coming and going and they think that somebody's in an apartment. As much as I don't want to, you know, I have to go and tell them you're not allowed to be here. You can't be here because I'm I'm kicking them out into the streets. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I mean, there's, there's a daycare here on property, and, uh, you know, we, we have to keep the neighborhood safe. We have to keep our, our clients safe, mm-hmm. and, and we can't, you know, we, we just, we can't have folks wandering around, you know? So it's, it's unfortunate, but. Right. I think we, I like, I think we hit everything. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there we go, folks. Another excellent show in the bag. Uh, thank you to Ian. He's a good dude. I appreciate him coming on and uh, talking about all of that. Thank you to all of you for listening. Uh, you know, I said last week I was going to create a Patreon, and this week I did. We've already got the long version of the interview with Earthworm up there. It's really fun. It's worth your five bucks alone. So don't be afraid to go support us over there. Everything you... Uh, put in there is just we're gonna put back into making this show better and uh i got more cool stuff coming we're doing something this next weekend i won't spoil it but uh you're gonna want to be on that patreon so that's it love you guys have a great week